Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. 12.30 kickoff today at Husky Stadium, which is an unusual time for us. We actually get time, get done in time to go have dinner and have a couple beers. And, uh, yeah, 12.30 start. It'll be nice. Weather today expected? The unexpected. At some point, we could get wind, rain, sun. I think we're going to get a little bit of everything today. So if uh, you're seeing this, reading, if you're listening to this before you leave, Grab some extra clothes, grab some layers, but uh, we're probably going to get a little bit of rain. But it's been a busy week post-USC. Chris, this is the second year in a row, second time in a row, where Washington has played down at USC, and a coach got fired the day after. Yeah, that's just just weird, isn't it? I mean, that's just – I mean, it's not like it was wholly unexpected either because – you know, talking to some of the guys that we talked to with, you know, you were on the USC program, like Ryan Abraham and the guys at uscfootball.com. I mean, it's, this has been a long time coming for Alex Grinch. I, I think a lot of people are wondering why he was even retained for this year. And he, they've had to go through nine, 10 games of that kind of stuff. And so when, when Washington fans look at what Washington did against USC, putting up 52 points on the road, I mean, and, and think about the idea throughout the entire history of that series, guys, the most amount of points that they've ever put up against USC was 34 before last Saturday. Yeah. To think about it in those terms, that'll just really underscore how really awful that defense is. Hey, Chris, there's some people down in the LA media, Scott Wolf, Petros Papadakis, I believe I was listening to them, and I can't remember which one of them, but they insisted it was a mandate from Jen Cohen to fire, uh, fire the defensive coordinator. You buying that? I don't really have any sort of idea whether or not that would be accurate, but I would say that if you, in terms of what we do and how we kind of follow the pulse from what the fans are saying, I think the fans would be like, that's a brilliant start by Jen Cohen. That's the best thing she could have done was to try to eliminate that guy right away because, you know, they look at what she did at Washington and how she was able to resolve the Jimmy Lake situation really pretty quickly and painlessly to be able to, if, if, if she's going to get yeah. credit for firing uh, Alex Grinch, I, I think that will be unanimously supported by the, by the USC fan base, at least the fan base that we pay attention to. What, one and, thing, and, one thing I'll say, Kim, is knowing Jen and what she did up here, no matter how bad the coaching was, she let the head coaches run their programs. Yeah, I don't think she and, made that call at all. I don't think all. she made that call at all. That is no. not Jen. That is not her MO. That is not the way she runs things. She lets her coaches for good, for better or worse. I mean, she's she's going to let them run their program. And if they can't do what they need to do, then she's going to let go of the head coach. It's going to reflect on the head coach rather than the assistant. I'm sure there was a comment or two with what the hell was that and uh, substitute the words where you may need to be. But, Scott, Alex Grinch was what he was. You thought if people thought Jimmy Lake was a rising superstar back at his peak, Alex Grinch was the same guy. 
yeah, he, you know, he had a lot of success at Washington State. And and the thing is, he seemed to get less successful with the more talented players that he had. It, it was really weird situation because he came up with this inventive, really aggressive scheme at Washington State under – was that under – that was under um, Leach. Uh, Leach, right? Okay, yeah. Yep. So he, he's really inventive under Leach and and has to do some different things because he doesn't have the most talent. I mean, not to make fun of Washington State, but they're not very talented. They're not as talented as some of the other places he's gone, which is Ohio State, which is Oklahoma, which is now USC. He's gone to different places, and he's had less success at each different stop that he went to. And honestly, when he came over from Oklahoma – with Lincoln Riley when he signed as the head coach to be the head coach at USC all of us kind of let really okay i mean your your defense got worse every year that he was at uh, Oklahoma and yeah. now you're going to bring him to USC i'm not that highly questionable hey scott i read something real interesting tell me what you think about this but uh, i think it was down in one of the LA papers they were talking about the reason that uh, he struggled so much and USC struggled so much in Oklahoma is because your first and second team are getting reps in practice consistently against an air raid and they don't know how to defend a conventional offense. Well, that that I could see that being definitely a, uh, an issue. I, I could see that being a problem. But you know what? There's air raid teams. I mean, um, some of these teams that are really, really successful at Ohio State. Now, granted, Ohio State hasn't been any great shakes over the last few years defensively, but, um, you know, that's an air raid offense. You know, it's very, very wide open and, and all those different things. And Ohio State has been able to figure it out. So if, you've got to be able to figure that out. If you have an air raid offense, you're going to have a bad defense? No, well, I just... I, no, I don't. I, I disagree think, with that. Yeah, no, it seems, it seems like Marshawn that. Lloyd, you got Marshawn Lloyd. You got Austin Jones. They have running backs. They run the ball. They see that they see they see those running backs every day in practice. I don't yeah, I don't buy that thought at all. Yeah, I, I think there might be something to it, but it just seems like you show me an air raid defense and I'll show you a team that doesn't have a very good defense. So. Yeah, but I, I would say honestly, guys, I'd say the air raid that, that Leach ran where he literally didn't even want to use the running backs. He definitely never used a tight end, didn't do all that stuff. Lincoln Riley, if you want to call it air raid, you can call it air raid, but he uses yeah. tight ends. They run the ball a ton. They use all sorts of different things. Sure. So it's to me, yeah, to, to me, it's it's kind of apples and oranges. I don't see the same kind of offense, really. Hey, recapping the week, Scott, we had a chance to talk to the coordinators, the head coach. We talked to players. We talked to assistants. Anything jump out at you early this week? Um, no, I mean, I think it was just kind of going through the ZTF stuff. I mean, to me, that was the most poignant moment of that night, um, you know, after the win was, you know, just watching uh, DeBoer and, and ZTF and the emotions just pouring out of him and knowing that his father had passed away and, and all the different things that he was dealing with. He came up with the key play. Uh, Chuck Morrell talked about it, about how, um, you know, you, you couldn't write a better story. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want his dad to pass away, but if his dad's going to pass away, how great that he was able to come back a week later after, after his dad passed away, didn't even know if he was going to end up playing all week, um, decided to play cause my dad would want me to play. And then he goes and, and makes the key play that basically gives Washington the lead that they never relinquished against USC in a place that Washington doesn't, te- you know, 
play very well at typically. So, you know, I mean, just so many different things you talk, we talk, you get, you and, uh, fetters, you and, you and Josh talked to ZTF, um, earlier in the week. And then, you know, and then we talked to, uh, Eric Schmidt and he talked about it a little bit too. Just, just how this team is a brotherhood and, and how they take care of each other. And they, they, they put their arms around each other. When someone's going through a bad thing, they, they take care of them and things like that. And I think that's what really came out to me. Anything jump out at you, Chris, this week? Well, just following up on the ZTF stuff, and it, of course, unbelievable story, and it, and you really, it was juxtaposed amazingly on the on the TV copy. I don't know if you got a chance to see the full copy yet, Kim, but they had the moment with DeBoer and ZTF on the sideline, and then literally five seconds after that was done, they went and you saw Caleb Williams going up to his family, and they're hiding his tears and all that stuff. And I, you could tell it. I, I knew it from the minute it was going to happen. When you had those two moments, what was the moment that the national media was going to polarize on? The low-hanging fruit. Caleb Williams. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't talk at all about the guy whose father passed away from the number five team in the country. By the way, who got the win? Who got also. the win? Who got a key key play that got them a short field for a touchdown in a ten-point game? All this storyline, Scott, you laid it out perfect. All these storylines that they could have used, and they and they just targeted in on the one little moment with Caleb Williams, and now he's a crybaby. Oh, what are NFL GMs now going to think of a guy who cries after a game and blah, blah. It was the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen, and it's the national media just, I mean, they just dial in and target on something like that, and it's just awful. And I, I don't understand well, why they I don't understand why they did it when they had a beautiful story, a really poignant moment with a coach and a player that they could have they could have the national the national media could have eaten that stuff up all day for days and they and, didn't touch it. Yeah, and if they did the USC people would be saying the same thing you're saying. It's just the it's just the national media. I mean, it's just low-hanging fruit. It's you know, path of least resistance and that's your Heisman trophy winner from last year, so I don't know. Just, well, I, what, and what, I don't what, care what you guys say. You go back to that last series. You go back and watch it again, and you take a look at Caleb Williams' eyes. I'm convinced he was nowhere near as into that last drive as he was the rest of the game. To me, and this is just me, you guys may not agree, but I think he'd semi checked out that last drive. Well, you were on the you were on the field, Kim. I mean, you were you were there. You kind of got a. a taste for what it was what it was feeling like on the field the electricity and everything else i i would trust your judgment on these types of things what i will say is and mark my words guys you can come back and you know clip this out if you want but if washington and oregon state end up hosting game day if everything goes as planned today and if washington beats utah and if oregon state wins their game there's a very good chance that game day would go to corvallis right and if that happens I guarantee you this ZTF story is going to get resurrected and oh, they, yeah. and ESPN will milk the living crap out of it. I mean, and they, as they should, my feeling is they should have been milking it from the very beginning because it was an unbelievable story about an unbelievable kid who had an yeah. unbelievably horrible thing happen to his family and was still able to overcome it. And I think they take another angle. Okay. What's that? That would be Kalen, Kalen DeBoer going into that game 111. 
Kalen DeBoer is 99 and 11 going into oh, today's okay. game. Yeah, he's 99 and 11. So I think they'll make a big deal out of Kalen and go back to his Sioux Fall days and Ryan Grubb, you know, working another job. I think they'll milk milk the hell the hell out of that, which deservedly so, by the way. So I didn't know. Did you know Kalen, Kalen was? Uh, I kept on wanting to say Caleb DeBoer. Did you know Kalen was 99 wins going into today? I I didn't. Although I. I'm sure someone had pointed it out somewhere. I just, I think again, if we're going to start talking about the national narratives, guys, if we're going to bring up Kalen DeBoer, what's the national narrative right now? The national narrative is that, oh, if Jim Harbaugh leaves to go pro and it sounds like everybody wants to kick him out of Michigan, who's going to be at the top of Michigan's wish list? Well, we've heard some people say Kalen DeBoer is nowhere near the top of that wish list. And there's other people that say, well, he'd be a, a natural fit at a place like Michigan if they wanted to come calling. Yeah, if they say yeah. he's no if they say he's not on the list, he's on the top of the list, right? Is that the way it works? I I don't know. But my personal feeling is yeah. he just got first of all, he just got to Washington, guys. Second of all, they're moving to the big they're moving to that conference. I'm not saying that it's a lateral move. Anything I, I'm not saying that at all. But when you're literally going into the same conference and you just got to a place and you have literally no idea how this thing is going to work out for you. Yeah. And but you're riding such a crest right now. You're riding such a high. Yep. yep. Why would you mess that up? It's Michigan. That's, it's Michigan. What, that's what people keep. Going. Scott, they were Scott. I mean, how long were they struggling before they hired Harbaugh? I mean, they were they were miring in the mud. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, um, gosh, I'm totally drawing a blank. Who's the guy? Rich Rodriguez. You know, I mean that he just took that that program down and i mean everybody thought that he was going to wind up taking them to to some serious heights and he didn't do anything with them so you know i mean say what you want about jim harbaugh i'm not a huge fan of his you know i think he's he's weird but the guy knows how to coach football and he knows how to build up a program i mean he did it at san university of san diego he did it at, at um at san francisco he did he did it at stanford um, he's done it pretty much everywhere that he's gone as, as being a head coach. And, you know, I, it, if weird things happened and Washington needed to get a coach and Jim Harbaugh was willing to listen. Yeah. I think Washington should definitely look at Jim Harbaugh. The thing about Jim Harbaugh though, is he'll never stay at a place very long. He'll be there five, six years. And then his personality, the way he does things will really grate on the people who pay him money. And and it, it'll get to the point where he's just not tenable anymore. And I think that's the point that Michigan is at right now. Yeah. And Scott, you've been doing this long enough and you follow Jim Harbaugh long enough. There's those who believe that he loves this. He loves the chaos and the drama because it oh. always seems to surround him. That's kind of it. You know, it's wouldn't not, surprise it's, me. it wouldn't surprise me at all. It's like those, you know, these people that I know that love the chaos. If they don't have the chaos, they create the chaos because that's their wheelhouse. And. Harbaugh seems to have a little bit of that, but yep. we'll see with Kalen. But everything I'm hearing is Washington is going to desperately be working on a new contract extension for Kalen DeBoer. His, his daughter, Alexis, signed a letter of intent to play softball at Washington earlier this week. So she's locked in. But uh, I think that a couple of things, well, three things that I'm hearing need to happen. Number one, Washington is probably going to need to get to about $8 million, uh, to um 
get him extended. They're going to have to up their assistant salary pool as well as uh, get an influx of NIL money to help him with getting the best players. Those are the those are the three things I'm hearing, Scott. All right, wouldn't surprise me. Any one of those three things doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. It doesn't. It, and the NIL, just for the clarification, that is not necessarily for high school kids. They 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 want to use theirs for keeping their best players around, and they want to use it for portal guys mostly. Every now and then you're going to see them go and and go out and and you'll hear about an NIL deal that that Washington signs a kid to, um, from from high school. But n- nine times out of ten, that that NIL money is not going to high school kids. It's going to a proven guy in the portal, yeah. not not a guy who's been riding the bench on another team that they're bringing. Nope. In. Exactly. It's, he's got to be a starter on the other team. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, getting into today's game, Chris, a lot of attention being focused on the Utah defense, Washington's offense, and Michael Penix against Stanford and Arizona State. Um, he, he wasn't the same, and it was pretty obvious he was sick after the Stanford game. Arizona State game, he wasn't right either, but uh, he brought everything back last week, and he looked like the Heisman Trophy candidate that we've all seen all year long. I agree 100%. And again, it's been very, very frustrating if we go back to the national narratives that apparently there's some some big talking heads out there that really don't understand which Washington team is going to show up from week to week when they just flat out don't realize that the team that has been there all year long has always been there. It's just that against Arizona State and Stanford, they had some guys that were really suffering. And it starts with Michael Penix Jr. And when you have that guy under the weather, that's going to affect a lot of different things. And, you know, not to talk about it literally being contagious, but when those guys are feeling under the weather and they're not feeling great, even if you've got the guys around him feeling okay, that that kind of energy or lack of energy can be contagious. And it's just kind of something that will filter throughout the rest of the team. And I think it really affected them against Arizona State and Stanford. Yet it seems like there's national thing out there that says, well, I don't know, are you gonna is it gonna be the team that that played against Arizona State Stanford or is it the team that apparently got right against USC? And it's it's kind of mind boggling to me. But I think uh-huh. that when it comes down to it, Michael Penix is back. And and I don't think he was ever not back. I think he just was suffering a little bit from the flu and cold as we all do this time of year. And Scott, the first series against USC, I think he laid all the critics to rest. That uh, yeah, I'm back. I'm back to Heisman form. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I mean he he certainly did. I mean he he threw the ball around and and uh, but I mean last week's game, as much as we want to say that Michael Penix is back and he he is. I mean it's pretty obvious that he he was feeling much better about things. How um, there was a pep in his step. I. I liked what I saw from him, not only on the sidelines, but just kind of the way he walked around and was doing things. But I'll tell you what, that game, as much as we want to say it was Michael Penix showing the world that he was back, That <laughs> did anyone expect to see 256 yards from Dylan Johnson and well, the did. running game that Washington had? I mean, it, it just it was ridiculous what Washington was able to do last week. Did Dylan Johnson open it for Michael Penix, or did Michael Penix open it up for Dylan Johnson? Honestly, I with USC's defense, I don't think it either one had to open anything for either one. I mean, I just USC. I mean, you you could watch, you know, Kurt uh, Kirk uh, Herbstreit was was kind of going through it and just like, what are what is this safety doing here? Uh, could not could not figure out what was going on with the kind of coaching they were getting because 
they were freelancing. They were they were coming off of guys that would that they shouldn't be coming off of, and, and you know it was it it was just bad coaching because it isn't like USC has a bunch of scrubs. They got talented guys on that team. They have they had arguably the number one transfer in the country during the portal process, and that was Bear Alexander. And I mean he was okay. He wasn't anything special though. I didn't. I didn't see a guy who was a huge difference maker for them. He he made a couple plays here and there, but he didn't impact what Washington wanted to do on the running game, especially Washington rushed for over 300 yards on the ground. When was the last time they rushed for 300 yards? Hey, Scott, you I mean, know, 2017 the Apple Cup. The, yeah. The thing that nobody's talking about, the big difference in Washington's offensive performance and nobody's talking about it. You know what it what? is? What? They're playing on grass. They're playing on yep. grass. Yeah. And, and Washington doesn't play well on grass. So for them to come out and and play what can I'm never going to take the bait dude I'm never going to agree with you Washington has never played well on grass they grass just have not a thing grass some is not the, a thing some of the best teams that Washington has had have lost on grass Kim yeah it, it just it happens well to go I, back to go back to the original question though in terms of was it the run that set up the pass or the pass that set up the run I think Ryan Grubb's been pretty clear and has been pretty consistent over the, the the last couple of years that he's been scripting plays to start games that he's really kind of using the pass to set up the run. And, but once Dylan Johnson clearly was able to get up field and really affect things and gash people. And that like that first play around the right end where he stiff armed that dude, man, that was nuts. It was like, okay, this a different DJ showing up today. This is a, this is a guy that maybe, uh, you know, when what's that meme? Like I, sir, I was unfamiliar with your game. You know, it's like one of those things like, oh, OK, this is who we got today. And, you know, the fans were rightly asking on the message boards that day, you know, has there ever been a more shocking performance in terms of running the ball at Washington? And the only one that I could come up with, honestly, that was close in terms of just sheer yardage was that game back down in Arizona in 2005 when James Sims ran for 200 yards. And it was like, yeah, that guy was a converted safety. It was like. You know, we'll talk a little bit about Sione Vaki a little bit later, but it was kind of like a Sione Vaki type performance where this guy switches sides of the ball and all of a sudden goes for 200 yards. You just don't expect that. And and even Dylan talking to Dylan this week, he said he literally used the word shocking. It was shocking. He was like he didn't know else to describe it. Is uh, Utah's defense good enough to slow this Washington offense down if they play like they did against USC, Scott? Absolutely. Yes, they are. What, I mean, I, th- there isn't much else to say. I just I think Utah's goal is going to make Washington be one dimensional. I think they're going to I think they're going to be real physical with the wide receivers. And I think they're going to be real physical along the line of scrimmage. And it's going to be up to Michael Penix to be patient, throw the ball, uh, you know, get the ball out to his playmakers when he has the opportunity. But I don't think I, I will be surprised if Washington rushes for over 100 yards in this game. Yeah, well, hold on a second. Guys. So using your question, though, Kim. I disagree 100% with what Scott just said, because the question was, if Washington plays like they played against USC, that's different than saying, is Utah capable of shutting down Washington's offense? 100% they're capable of shutting them down. Are they capable of shutting them down the way they played against USC? No, no one is. There's no one in the country that could shut down that off. They, they, they combined for 570 some yards of total offense. 300 and some yards on the ground. Now, if they put those types of numbers together, guys, no one's going to beat them. It's just that simple. They're too, they would, they, there's too much balance. Dylan Johnson was going crazy. Penix was supplementing him with great, with great passes. 
you know, uh, Adunze, Polk, all those guys had had their moments. No, that, not 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 given the way that that Kim phrased that question. No, they and, can't be beaten. And I'm getting a feeling today we may see a little bit more Tybo Rogers. I could see that. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, he. It was just one of those things that, again, talking to Lee Marks and most of the, core, the the running backs coaches that you'll talk to, you know, Keith Bonifaw was the same way. They want to run with the hot hand, and why wouldn't you? It's kind of common sense, right? And if Dylan Johnson's going for 256 yards, yeah, you ride that guy. You ride him until until you can't. And Dylan Johnson even talked about in the fourth quarter how he ended up with a huge knot in his arm and that almost kind of derailed him on the final series. Uh, but he was still able to get in the game and score. So you run that, you run that guy as much as you can possibly run him. But at the same time, Kim, you're right. I think Tybo Rogers could be a guy, not just as a change of pace guy, but as a guy who could legitimately come in and maybe get upwards of 10 carries uh, today. I think it's certainly possible. And Scott, I just see that uh, Dylan Johnson trying to uh, soften that defense up, and Tybo's the fastest running back in the room. I, I was kind of surprised when the guys on the team told me that, but they all pretty much admit Tybo's the fastest guy in the running back. Room. Oh, oh yeah, and he's very explosive. He can get up to full speed much quicker than anyone else on that team. On you know on the team, so um, you know he's he's a special tailback. He's just you know as they talked about, you know um, Ryan Grubb talked about it in in his press conference on Monday that he was supposed to be tight to the tight to the line on that quarterback sneak by by uh uh Michael Penix and he wasn't so and he and he had a breakdown in pass protection so there's still a lot of things that he needs to learn and everything like that but they say he's incrementally getting better and better and better every week that he plays and I think Washington's really really just drooling trying to get this guy on the field because they know he's a playmaker yeah, and I think that Washington, the first play of the game, is going to go play action, you know, because they've shown that they can run the football. I think they're going to play action and go deep. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I think that the Washington's running game last week will still pay dividends this week, Scott. Yeah, yeah, it could. I think it definitely could. It just, you know, a lot of it's going to be, you know, can they get stuff done against a very physical, very big, very active front seven for Utah. And I think Utah is going to do everything they can to take away that running game and make Washington one dimensional. Yeah. And I, and Chris, I think they're, they're, uh, you know, defensive lines pretty good, but their secondary, I think is real pedestrian. Well, they're not as good as their front. I mean, you look at a guy like Jonah Ellis and the, the number of oh, just, he's so sash, just general production that oh. that guy's had. It's kind of ridiculous. And, and it is, it's not like it's literally come out of nowhere. But there was nothing really to suggest in how he played last year. He was kind of steady, but it was kind of like the the incremental improvement, like a like a ZTF, and then going into the 2020 season, we're like, yeah, they're gonna they're going to count on that guy, but what are they gonna really get out of him? And then all of a sudden, it's like he shot out of a cannon. So that you know, you talk about him on one side, you talk about Van Fillinger on the other side. Um, those are two really, really athletic guys. They're going to get after um, the, you know, uh, Troy Fautanu and Roger Rosengarten. They're going to get after those guys all day. The the tackles and the edges, that battle, I think, is going to be the real key in the game when you talk about Washington's offense trying to produce against this very stout uh, Utah front. And Scott, I I keep on coming back to I think that the 
uh, insertion of Julius Bulow. Uh, week one to week two being back from his injury, I thought Julius Bulow and having him back and back to 100% and playing uh, as he usually does made the big, big difference. So they've got their starting five back with uh, Brailsford at center. You know, I know they lost Matteo Mele, but uh, the offensive line seems to be coming together. Oh yeah, definitely did. And um, you know they've got Garen Hatchet out with a with an ankle injury, and so you know Ryan Grubb basically said it's a it's a seven man rotation right now that they're working through, and so that would be uh, Landon Hatchet, and then um, and then I'm trying to think who the next guy what would be after Landon Hatchet, probably Garen Hatchet. So right now it's probably a six man rotation that they're going through. So um, you know, or maybe Jalen. Uh, Jalen, the the transfer that came in from Clem. Kansas City, yeah, Jalen Clem. Yeah. So you know th- that that might be your your seven that you're working with right now. And and Jalen Clem is, I think he's got potential, but he is not ready to be a regular contributor on this team. So they need their their offensive line to stay healthy. But they also, uh, it, it's good that they've had the chance to work together now for a couple weeks and do some different things. And Julius Bulow's back and playing a little bit better. And and I don't I don't think. You know, if we go back to 2021, I don't you know, when Julius Buell was a starter coming out of coming out of fall camp and then had to be replaced. I don't think anyone would have thought that they'd be saying that Julius Buell might be the key to Washington's success as a, along the offensive line. But that's exactly where we are. And I and I don't think that after la, after the 2021 season, they would have said that about Cameron Fabi Kulanen. But when he went out, it, Washington definitely felt his presence not being around in that secondary. And so getting these guys back, getting them healthy, getting you know their experience back in and everything like that, the way they're playing better. I think I think Julius Bulow, Cameron Fabi Kulanen, those guys may have made a big difference when they've been able to come back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And Chris, moving over to the other side of the ball, I know that the defense didn't look great, but you've also got to understand that uh, USC's got the number two rated offense in the entire country and a Heisman Trophy candidate as good a quarterback as we've seen in a long, long time at Washington. And, you know, you've said it numerous times against any other team. Washington's got eight to ten sacks. Well, yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams has been doing that for the last two years now. I mean, that's just something that he does. He's he's a magic man. He 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 can disappear at any time, man. That's just how good he is. I mean, Braylon Trice, man, if if Braylon Trice gets his hands on you, typically you're going down. But with Caleb Williams, he's able to escape some of that stuff. There's a lot of of, of like Patrick Mahomes in Caleb Williams's game. You know, that's just who he is. But and, and that's not to discredit what Washington's going to see today in Bryson Barnes, because Bryson Barnes, I think, is very athletic. 
I think he can run the ball a little bit. He's clearly not going to run the ball as much as the backup quarterback, Nate Johnson. Nate Johnson's a little bit more of a of a run, kind of a true dual threat, whereas Barnes is going to want to stick in and try to get the ball downfield a little bit. But he'll he'll present a little bit of a run threat as well. I mean, there's there's no question that he can do that, but that's not really his primary concern, you know. And then, and then they've got guys, you know, in terms of Devon Vele, the six foot five kid. I mean, you know, he's they talk about creating one-on-one mismatches with with Penix going to Odunze on one-on-ones and high ball high pointing the ball. Vele will do the same thing. And then they've got uh, Mikey Matthews, Money Parks. They've got some of those guys, and then Sione Vaki has come in from the other side of the of the of the field and and have done just some wonders i mean in terms of what he's done to impact some games the game at usc hopefully washington fans has got to see the the highlights between utah and usc and he was just an absolute revelation in that game he did a lot of amazing things scott does utah have enough firepower to put points on washington um if they get the if washington can't stop the run yes they do i don't think you know offensively they're going to be able to throw deep on Washington very much. I think the Huskies uh, have enough talent outside and, and experience outside to, to man up their guys. But um, if they don't, if they don't stop that running game, all Kyle Woodingham is going to do is hand the ball off. That's all they're going to do. It sounds like they may be minus their top running back as well, by the way. Well, yeah. um, Well, it sounds like according to Woodingham this week, because I listened to his press conference and basically he just said the last few weeks, Jaquindon Jackson's who we're talking about, the Texas transfer. And basically he just said he's just been gutting it week last few weeks where he's just been like, hey, the ankle's bad, but we're going to strap it up and we're going to go, and he's going to go as long as he can, as hard as he can, and then we'll reassess week to week. And so, you know, a guy like Jackson, I mean, he could be in for a series. He could be in for the entire game. No one knows. Yeah, I think right, it's just right. that big of a mystery at this point. So, yes. so really, it's going to come down to if, if Washington can stop the run or at least not allow five yards of carry, six yards of carry, um, get get you know get Utah in some situations where they're facing third and seven, third and eight, third and nine, maybe even more than ten. You know, you need to you need to be able to get after the quarterback, and he will throw the ball away. He will throw the ball to your team. He did that against Oregon. Oregon played a heck of a game against uh, Utah. They got, I think they got, what did they get, seven or eight sacks in that game? They hit him a bunch more, everything like that. But he he was seeing ghosts, and he was rushing throws and things like that. And when, when the game was still relatively close, he threw an interception. Just, I mean, literally threw it like it was right to the guy who he, you know, the on the Oregon team. I mean, it, it didn't even look like it was a, a smart decision. And so, you got to get him flustered, and if you can get him flustered, that's when Washington can take advantage and make some plays. And Steve Bartle, I think, said it best. He said Utah's going to come in here and try to ugly it up. And uh, he said that you know if they pass for 150 yards, that's about all they need because they're running so much play action off of that. And if they can just get like 150 yards passing, that'll open up the running game enough for them to be successful. That might be the case. That might be the case, definitely. I just don't see them scoring 35 points. And I don't I either. Just, yeah. So and, <clears throat> the key is going to be can Washington score? You know, Kim, you started off the podcast with the the weather forecast saying, you know, that we don't know what it's going to be like. It sounds like it's going to be a little windy. It sounds like it's going to be a little rainy. Well, look what happened in that Oregon State game last year. You're facing the same kind of team, maybe a little bit better quarterback than Goldbranson was, um, but not much better. And and but it's going to be windy. It's going to be rainy. 
And you've got a team who likes to run the ball in Utah, and you've got a team that likes to run the ball in Oregon State. This is going to be a lot like Oregon State last year. I think the weather's going to be different at each end of the field. It might be. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm expecting. But uh, this Washington defense getting ZTF back last week, uh, Eddie Ulifosio, he seems to me like he's lost a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's key that they get Thule back today. So we'll see how much he plays, Chris. Yeah, he played a number of snaps. But, you know, and he was in on a couple of key series in the fourth quarter against USC. So I think, again, he's on a snap count. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on a snap count again today just because they they just got to keep riding him as much as they can, kind of the way we just talked about Jaquindon Jackson, the Utah running back. I think with Thule, he's kind of in a similar situation. They're going to strap him up and see what he can do and see how he can go. They don't certainly do not want to jeopardize his health, but they 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 definitely need him. They're, they definitely need him at some key moments. And uh, you could see even on a couple plays, even on the one of the touchdown throws, uh, from um, from Caleb Williams that that he just blew up just blew up the middle of that USC line and really affected the play but again it's just Caleb Williams being Caleb Williams making a play out of nothing for a touchdown so th- those things happen but you saw a glimpse of why Tuli Latuiasanoa is so important to this Washington defensive line because he affects everything. Scott, recruiting has definitely changed where we would typically be busy but this year seems like. Uh probably the most different of all because Washington is probably not going to take very many more high school kids in the space spots that they have left are going to go to portal guys, but they do have some high school guys in today. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see one guy by the name that everybody should know about Omar Khan. He's going to be, uh, up at the university of Washington. He's a defensive lineman out of Cyprus, just outside of Houston, uh, Texas and, uh, committed to Washington back in the summer. Hasn't looked back. Technically, he's the lowest rated guy in Washington's recruiting class, but I I think this guy has got a huge upside. He could be really special in a year or two. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on with him. He's supposed to be in ca- on campus. This is something he's been planning for a couple of months now. And then a hey, couple of hey Scott, hey Scott, real quick, got big lineman from Houston coming to Seattle. Mm-hmm. They love that. Yeah. Yeah, remember I Le- mean, Le- remember Levi? He, I mean, he hated that weather down in Houston so bad. Yeah, was he, I thought he was from Dallas. Allen, no, he's he from was Houston. in Allen. Where's I thought he's Allen Houston. just outside of Houston? Whatever, wherever it was, he didn't like the weather down there. You're right, Kim. So, yeah, those big linemen like the cool, yeah. cool weather up so here. So then they've got uh, one of the top running backs that they've offered, Carson Cox, out of uh, Oak Oak Hills down there in Southern California. He is the teammate of Pocky Finnow an offensive lineman who's committed to Washington for 2024. Carson Cox is a 2025 guy. Uh, he's not very big. He actually reminds me a little bit of Miles Gaskin, maybe not quite as thick, but same kind of same kind of runner as Miles Gaskin coming out of high school. And then uh, tight end Vander Plug out of uh, Fullerton. He's going to be up at the University of Washington as well. Um, and Love that, well, yeah, Vander Plug. <laughs> it just, you know, it's so funny because when I when I heard his name and and I looked him up and I've watched his film, he reminds me of all the kind of tight ends that that Stanford and Oregon State have put out over the years. Just that workman kind of guy, um, not gonna blow you away with his athleticism, but just always seems to get open. Really tough, really strong, great uh, great size and. And uh, great frame, and Washington will have him on campus as well. These are he, he's these are all guys that have been offered by the University of Washington. Six six, two hundred ten pounds is what he's listed at, 
And uh, I think Washington uh, really likes uh, what he brings to the table. Washington has not offered him, by the way. Uh, Over under, Scott, how many more high school guys do they take in this recruiting class? Um, If if we're going over under, I'd say two. I'd say two is is the highest that I see them taking out of this class. Maybe maybe could get to three if they can flip a guy. I uh, just saw that, um, you know, on on Friday, a guy by the name of uh, Joa Tawanu'u a, uh, <clears throat> or Jordan Tawanu'u, I can't remember the, his first name, but he uh, committed to Stanford um, and has opened up his recruiting. So that I mean, I watched it's pretty loaded along the defensive line. Um, but, you know, I, I think that Washington, uh, if they can find a guy that that can be special for them, um you know, I, I think that that's something to to definitely keep an eye on. Justin Townu, sorry, he's out of Hawaii, uh, Huntington Beach, um, had an offer from Washington. Uh, you know, just guys to keep an eye on, you know, down the road. Right. So um, that, as guys who could possibly flip. And Scott, what's interesting is there was some stuff out on Twitter about. USC. By, the way, by the way, I'm sorry, I said he was a defensive lineman. He's an offensive lineman. Sorry about that. Yeah, some interesting, you know, where there was some stuff out on Twitter about the USC recruits in the first and second row at last week's game actively rooting for Washington. Did that win pay dividends for recruiting for Washington? Oh, I'm sure it didn't hurt, um, but you also got to remember that there were several Husky commits on campus watching that game. And I think that's the I think Kamari House, I think uh, Kamari House, I think Justice Williams, those are all guys who were who are on campus watching that game. And I think they were all rooting for the University of Washington. So I wouldn't I wouldn't read too much into it at this point. Yeah. Also, just, you know, with Washington is only going to take two more guys. I think that the offseason portal recruiting will be much more, much more interesting. Yeah. And that's going to be harder to find because, you know, there's just not as much information. These guys have been through the process before, so they're not talking to the the media at quite as much as the younger guys do. So, um, yeah, it's it's going to be harder, but it's going to be more fun and a little bit more chaotic, which I know there's several people on our board who love the chaos. Hey, Kim, real quick, guys. I, I just wanted to add to what Scott said because Scott put a ton of good information out there. Brandon Huffman also had a, a story out yesterday. You know, he's, he's saying that there's going to be almost 50 – uh, or over 50 visitor to, uh, visitors on hand to the game today. Um, did you mention Paki Fino? I know you mentioned his teammate, but Paki's supposed. To, I, I think I didn't Paki know Fino? if he was coming, but but if Carson Cox is coming, it wouldn't surprise me if Paki Fino is there going to be there because um, those two are friends and they came up together for the spring game. Yeah, because so. he's because Brandon reported that that Paki Fino is going to be there. Okay. Um, it and and uh, Jason Brown is another name that he mentioned. Wouldn't surprise so, me if Jason's there. I know Washington is still talking to him. Yep. And and just celebrities in the house. Brandon Huffman's going to be in the house today. Yeah, big shock. <laughs> hey, he'd be nice to Brandon. So. No, and, no, he's, and it's, he's great. And it's harder to see Brandon these days. Yeah. Was he yeah. down 80 pounds? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's a yeah. shadow of what he once was. But, uh, yeah, he's done a good job. He's looking good. And, uh, hey, before we wrap this up, we got to touch bases on basketball, Thursday night's basketball game. That Northern Kentucky team, I think a lot of people go into that game thinking they're nothing. But Northern Kentucky's a tournament team last year and took number one seed Houston down to the wire. I was pretty impressed with how good Northern Kentucky was. But, boy, getting Savir Wheeler back. Husky fans got to love Savir Wheeler, Chris. Oh, yeah. No, and he was a huge difference maker. Huge difference maker. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know – 
watching that defense live for Northern Kentucky, I can see why they could have a certain amount of success because it's very unusual, very hybridish. Like you couldn't tell if it was zone or man, it was some matchup stuff, but it was, it was very weird watching it live. Cause I, like it looked like they were getting into a zone and then all of a sudden they'd break out into it. Some of the stuff that Washington has done a little bit in the past in terms of kind of fronting a certain defense and then kind of falling back into something else. Um, so it was really unusual. And I think it was, it was a really good test for Washington early in the season to see something like that, because I think there are going to be some teams out there that, that might throw some junk type stuff at them. Cause they also mixed in some pressures, some full court stuff, uh, a lot of different stuff all the way around. And, and you can tell uh, Northern Kentucky's not only a well-coached team, but a well-drilled team on what they do. And that was a, a good test for Washington to be able to, to get past that, push through that, especially when they weren't making any outside shots. This is not the old Mike Hopkins team. This is a totally different team. New roster, new playing style. They're playing fast. They ditched the zone. Um, they got, they've got a lot of depth. That big three-headed monster last night, um, excuse me, Thursday night, you know, each one of those, Braxton Mia, uh, Wilhelm Bradenbach and Frank Kepnong, each one of those uh, three bigs contributed, and they all gave you a little something different, which really opened things up for Keon Brooks and Xavier Wheeler. And, boy, they haven't even got Moses Wood going yet. And when they get him going, watch out. Yeah, I think there's just all sorts of good reasons to think that this team has a lot of pieces, and especially pieces that if if things happen to other guys, if certain guys get hurt, you know, we've already seen it where, you know, they haven't had a Wesley Yates, for instance. Wheeler can't play in the first game against Bellarmine. Uh, Bellarmine, I guess it's, you know, for, for us in Seattle, it's Bellarmine because that's where, you know, Tacoma, Bellarmine prep. But apparently in Kentucky, it's Bellarmine uh, or Bellarmine, Bellarmine. And so to not have him in that first game and to still come away and win pretty, pretty convincingly and then to have him come back because he was really, really key to create that connection with with Keon Brooks and then Keon Brooks only goes for a career high 32 you can tell just how well they work together and just what his penetration inside the key can do in terms of finding open guys whether that means lobbing it up for dunks whether that means passing it outside for open shots what he brings to this team is pretty invaluable right now because it's it's your classic point guard stuff in terms of just penetration, you can get. He, he, I think last night, Kim, you mentioned he drew eight fouls. Yeah. I mean, getting so getting to the foul line is huge in a game where I think they had a combined forty-three fouls between the two teams on Thursday night. So that was just, you know, I mean, it was going to be it was a late game anyways, and so that just kind of kept extending the game. But when you get into the double bonus and you need to make these shots, not only can he get to the line, but he can make them too, and that's huge. 7 o'clock tip-off tomorrow night against Nevada, and each one of these games is getting pro, um, a, a little bit tougher. So expecting Nevada to be a little bit tougher than Northern Kentucky, and then they're on the road next week against Xavier, which should be a really, really good game. So uh, keep an eye on hoops. I think people will be pleasantly surprised on what they see. Totally different team, totally different style, and uh, fun to watch. So Scott Eklund, uh, again, 1230 uh, kickoff today which you wish it was four o'clock right or seven o'clock you like those? nope <laughs> nope the earlier the better i'd, I'd be happy with 10 o'clock kickoffs but yes all right uh, wrap it up uh you know um really good uh test for washington because this is a completely different team than what they saw last week and it'll help get them prepared for their game against oregon state on the road next week 
what many people thought was um, a possible loss for Washington. So Washington, um, you know, they're going to have to bring their A game against Utah. Utah is maybe not quite as good or deep or as talented as they were um, in previous years, but they're still a dangerous team, especially when they're well coached by a, by probably arguably the best coach in, in if not the conference um, could possibly even be the country. So, um, you know, he just, he's a guy who does so much with so little, I don't want to say so little, they've, they're, they're definitely um, a brand now, but um, you know, he's just done so much to, for that program. Um, what was this is, I think, is this his 25th season, fifth, uh, 20th as a head coach and five years um, as an assistant coach at, at Utah. And I mean, he's just, he's a special breed, man. He, he just knows how to get the most out of his guys and uh, and this is going to be a tough game for Washington. I think the Huskies can pull it out, but I think this is going to be a much closer game than a lot of people think it's going to be. Chris Fetters, wrap it up. Yeah, it's it's. I agree with a lot of what Scott said. I really uh, agree with the comparison with Oregon State last year. Um, similar makeups, just really tough nosed teams, hard on both sides of the ball. Again, Kyle Whittingham certainly is going to get his guys to fight all the way to the end because they still have a lot to play for. And so this is going to be a big game. I mean, people, it's weird because people look at the Oregon result and think, oh, well, you know, Utah's got nothing to play for. They're not that great. They're still a top 20 team. So this is the second back-to-back game for Washington playing a top 20 team. So there's, there's a ton on the line today. You know, when it comes down to it, it's interesting, Kyle Whittingham, you know, he's been an architect of a lot of the games that Washington and Oregon have played. They, Washington and Utah have not even played 10 games since Utah joined the Pac-12. They just have not played a ton of games, and that even includes the Pac-12 championship game that Washington won. But Utah has only won two times in the 15 games in this series between the two teams. But both times, a Kyle Whittingham coach team was able to come into Seattle and win. It was 2015 in 2019. So Kyle Whittingham knows how to come into Seattle and win. And so it's not totally out of the realm that Utah can pull out the game today. That said, I still think Washington has too much firepower on offense. And I think their defense will find enough stops because I just don't see enough uh, that Utah has. And the other thing is we haven't even talked about what I think is the true X factor. And I told 24 seven sports this week about it when we did a video with Steve Bartle, I think Husky Stadium steps up just like they did against Oregon. You look at that Washington-Oregon game in a neutral site, everyone thinks Oregon wins that game now. Well, I think I think Husky Stadium is the X factor today. I think they take Bryson Barnes off his game. I think they force Utah maybe into some procedure penalties. I think that, you know, putting them behind the sticks, I think that's going to be really, really important, especially early in the game, to try to set the tone. And then I think all day long, especially with the 1230 start, you've got a lot of you got a lot of lubed up Husky fans out there that are going to be ready for prime time. And I think they're going to come and they're going to affect how this game is played. And I think that helps Washington pull this thing out. Yeah. And the and the crowd was one of the things that I wanted to talk about as well, because, you know, honestly, the past few years, the, the crowds at Husky Stadium have been OK. But that Oregon game was a whole different level. This is a sold-out game, and there hasn't been a lot of those with the capacity of Husky Stadium being the largest in the conference. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be electric in Husky Stadium with a 12:30 start, so I think that's going to be a big factor, and that noise really helps the um, Washington offense because 
we've seen it before when they're making the noise and all of a sudden Washington starts their motion, pre-snap motions and everything and how confused the defense gets. I think it'll definitely have an impact on, on the, on the game. So looking forward to seeing, you know, an electric Husky stadium again and being prepared for every type of weather, which way. So that'll be fun. Also, Hey, just had a chance um, the other night to talk to Troy Dan and the new athletic director and I told him I had one question, one question only, because I don't know if you guys have noticed him on the uh, sidelines for the game. He's not down on the sidelines, you know, uh, socializing. He's an eagle eye. He is watching the games intensely. He's down there and he is watching everything. So it's kind of interesting to watch. So I asked him, uh, boxes or sideline this week? And he goes, oh, I'm going to be in the sidelines. I said, you ready for the weather? He goes, that won't be that bad. I go, okay. <laughs> so we'll see how Troy does on the sidelines. So it was interesting talking to Troy for a little bit. And by the way, he's getting rave reviews. Everybody I'm talking to just says, hey, he's the real deal, and they hired the right guy. Um, I've heard some uh, groups that he's gone out and spoken to and said he just blew them away. Uh, great public speaker, and he's going to be huge in fundraising and everything. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye on what Troy Dannon does over the next few months at the University of Washington. He can start it all off the right foot um, by getting uh, Kalen DeBoer signed up to a new contract. Again, 7 o'clock kickoff tomorrow night against Nevada. Uh, I don't even know what channel that game will be on. Probably Pac-12 Network, Chris? Yes, Pac-12 okay. Network. Yeah, it's 7 o'clock. So, anyways. Uh, again, 12.30 start. So, Scott, will you be home by 7.30 by the time USC kicks off against Oregon? I am hoping so. Yes, I want to watch that game. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate uh, that needs to get done over the weekend and and uh, watching that USC Oregon game, which I think Oregon's going to trounce them. But, um, you know, that, that'll be fun to watch. Scott, I got I got a USC winning tomorrow uh, tonight. I got them. I got them. Of course outscoring. you do. Man. I've got them outscoring Oregon. I think they're going to drop a 50 bomb on Oregon. Yeah, so. well, the, the way that USC's defense plays, Oregon could drop an 80 bomb on them. So, yeah, well, Oregon still has Tosh Lupoi and Dan Lanning. So don't don't forget that. I think they're going to drop a 50 bomb on them. So we'll see what happens. Also, just yeah. one of the one of the guys I talked to who's really tight with USC told me that USC's changed their defense. And instead of all these complicated calls where everybody's got wristbands and has to look down, they're just uh, they simplified everything. So it's uh, just one read go. So it'll be interesting to see if that makes a difference down, down there. Chris, do you even know who took over as defensive coordinator down at USC? I, I'm pretty well, sure it was Sean the Nua and another yeah. it's the current line coach current, and the linebackers yeah. coach. I think it's current coaches. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I got, I got USC beating Oregon. So I, but then again, I have everybody beating Oregon. So uh -huh. <laughs> anyways, Hey, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs> MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.